developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And now a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our featured guest who makes his fourth appearance needs no introduction. There's not enough praise you can bestow upon Brandon Smith. This gentleman, critical thinking extraordinaire, he is a treasured asset to the freedom movement. He points out things that I think everyone knows, but then he all of a sudden he puts it all in a clear, concise manner and ties all all the dots together. He's just fantastic. I love his articles. I always share his uh, writings with people. And I think that when I, you read his information, when you hear him speak, it's very empowering because you know he's just this major force in the freedom movement. I'm so glad he, uh, he's working with us. Let's begin tonight's program. It is a great honor to once again welcome back to the show, Brandon Smith, founder of Alt Market and passionate freedom advocate. More about him by going to his website at alt-market.us. I have to say that I read all of Brandon's articles. I think they are very fascinating, and he seems to be such a straightforward thinker. I think he's always three or four steps ahead of a lot of people. Mr. Smith, welcome back to our show. Hey, it's uh, great to be back. Thank you. So, last time we spoke was in June of 2021, and you were seeing the world going to a very strange place. As of right now, do you think that the elites have more or less failed by trying to put people on the whole global global tyranny and that they're looking for other things? Are they are their moves right now backup plans or they they were kind of hastily put together in order to continue the scaremongering of trying to bring the world under one global governance? Yeah, I, I think um, my attitude is pretty much the same or has been over the past year, and that's that the the COVID agenda itself, uh, the plan to put people on vaccine on a vaccine passport system, uh, the plan to keep mandates in place uh, indefinitely. I think that plan has failed. Um, I think it's pretty clear that it has failed. It, wherever they were successful in places like uh, China, for example. Uh, that that's staying in place. The the places where they were successful, the vaccine passports and the mandates are those people are stuck with those. Um, but that has not happened throughout most of the world. I think uh, most of the world they have failed to push that agenda through. So now we're on to Plan B, which seems to be uh, Ukraine, Russia, and uh, an economic 
world war is what looks like the next plan will be. Okay. And reading some of your previous articles, there was plan for the Great Reset. And it seems that in this plan, the goal is to collapse various governments, including the U.S., and bring it under one authoritarian rule. When you look at the way the U.S. is, there are certain states that have not capitulated to this. But I do wonder if it is only a matter of time. If You know, sometimes if you get a virus, and even if you have a small portion of the virus, does it ultimately affect the entire host? I mean, is the U.S. more or less, I mean, right now we have more freedom here than most people do. But are, are there, even the states that resist the Great Reset, is there a probability that they will eventually get under that tyrannical control because you have remnants of the population that are keeping the, the, you know, the embers of uh, tyranny alive? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I can only theorize on that because uh, I think a lot of people, you know, if you were to go back a couple of years, um, before the pandemic event, uh, you know, a lot of people used to tell me and argue with me about the idea <clears throat> that conservatives and conservative states, uh, you know, red states, um, would would capitulate right away, that they would just roll over uh, as soon as tyranny was enforced, and that they that conservatives were all talk and that we wouldn't do anything when the when the time actually came. Um, well. That was proven quite wrong, actually. That was proven very wrong, and uh, it's something I've been saying for a long time: is that no, uh, you know, people who are conservatives are generally uh, pretty stalwart uh, defenders of the Constitution, and you're not going to uh, get these people to just uh, submit um, because they don't uh, care about. The uh, you know the loss of comfort. They don't care about. Uh, they're not going to roll over just because they want a few creature comforts, and they want the the system to remain functional enough so they can you know have their their jet skis and their <laughs> their McMansions and all of that stuff. They're they're not going to roll over for that. They're they have higher principles than that, and people will fight back. And as soon as, uh, you know, not long after the pandemic started, uh, we, we saw that with the red states. We saw, you know, at least 20 red states immediately start to move to block the mandates. And, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of those people, they were wrong. They thought that conservatives would roll over and we didn't. So, uh, you know, is there um, a, a line, you know, is there a stage at which, uh, conservatives might capitulate. Could it get? Is there a stage where it gets bad enough where where conservatives give up? Uh, I don't know, um, but I I think that line. I can only speak for myself, and that line for me it, it doesn't exist. Uh, I'm not going to give up, and I think there are millions of people out there that are just like me. Well, I will stand with you and stand by your side because I feel exactly the same way never going to capitulate to this because if you want you to capitulate it's over and i just such a shock with everything there are people out there that listen to our show brandon that would not identify themselves in any political party they would identify themselves just individuals who do about their own way they do not wish to harm anyone else they want to live free for individuals who are not aligned to any particular party or ideology does that put them at a disadvantage? Would it is it beneficial for people 
Or say, for example, are, are partyless, or maybe in the uh, maybe the Larkin Rose camp who just don't believe in any relevancy of authority. Is it in their best interest for the time being to align to a particular political party in order to resist anything else out there and then pull away? I mean, what, what do you think is a better strategy at this point? Can should individuals remain individuals, or should they align themselves with just groups that share the same vested interests of resisting this great reset for the time being? Uh, I think it's important for Americans, especially right now, to start rallying around uh, a set of principles, not necessarily a political party, but a set of principles that um, you know we need to sit down and say and define, this is what we all share, or this is what most of us, the majority of us, agree with the majority of these principles. And we need to rally around that. Because uh, what we're facing is, uh, you know, a group of people. It's not just the globalists that we need to worry about. You know, that's just, that's a small that's a small handful of people. Uh, the bigger problem, really, I mean, beyond the globalists, are is the political left, and the political left is quickly uh, aligning itself with everything that the the globalists want. And leftists have this huge advantage over, I guess, you know, conservative or freedom-minded types of people, which is that they have they sort of function on a collectivist, uh, like a hive mind system. They're very quick to just blindly follow the the gatekeepers uh, within their within their culture. And you know, this is this is obviously it's a weakness because you know, they can be misled very easily, but it's also a strength because they can form uh, form up mobs and organize very quickly, and they become a threat very quickly. And this is something that, uh, you know, conservatives, freedom, freedom advocates, uh, libertarians, you know, whatever, there, there's, there's so many different factions of, of, or groups of people within the liberty movement. This is something that we have a huge problem with because we do not tend to organize very well. We're very bad at it, actually. <laughs> we're, because we're all, because we're all individual, individualists, uh, you know, we tend to um, debate and argue with each other, uh, you know, often, you know, constantly even. And, you know, that's, uh, that, that can be a strength because, you know, it prevents our, our groups from all forming together on, a ba- on one bad idea. You know, there's always going to be somebody who says, you know, like, uh, you know, say, for instance, the key, the key, whole Q thing. Um, that was not a very, uh, you know, that was that was not based in the foundation of reality, a lot of the Q stuff. So uh, there were plenty of us who said, yeah, some of this stuff, it doesn't make sense. It's not realistic. It's not backed by evidence, so on and so forth. Um so it's good that there are people within the liberty movement who question everything and you know we debate with each other uh but we need to find something that where we can all rally uh together and organize together and at least function as a unit at times in order to fight back against this stuff otherwise we're just we're all isolated you have some people who are on the fence about some things and and uh, you have people who, um, you know, they they only identify libertarian, and there's some for some reason 
uh, hostile ag- against the word conservative. And I'll tell you what, um, I you know I use the word conservative because anything uh, you know to the right of of uh, Lenin is basically considered far right <laughs> these days. So you know I just use the word conservative because I think it encompasses mostly what what we stand for. Uh, I don't think you need to join the GOP or be a Republican in order to to do that though. Really appreciate that answer, and I'm glad you, you brought that up. That you know the groups of people do seem to be aligned. And, and as far as the, the left goes, it, it's really strange. But I, I think that some of the underlying principles were like, okay, we you know let's just be pro peace, let's you know be pro civil liberties. I mean, these are ideals that were preached years ago, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great that you know be more pro civil liberty. I think it's great to be against war. But it's kind of strange how things happen, and I don't know if the same thing is going to happen with other political parties. Are they going to be co-opted? Are they going to change and transform? But when you look at this and you see, okay, there's one collective group of individuals within a nation that are enthusiastically embracing to tyranny and totalitarianism, what is their fundamental weakness? Is there anything that can be done that will ultimately disrupt them and uh, thwart their efforts? Is it going to be individuals standing up and you know touting and refuting what they believe in? Is there any um, way that you see this thing playing out where there is an end game with this collective uh, psychosis uh, that wants to enslave and entrap everyone ultimately gets defeated? I think <clears throat> I think that the in terms of the political left, I think their greatest weakness is uh, when they. When they go against someone who is completely uncompromising, when they have to face people who will refuse to compromise a single inch of uh, territory to them, um, that's when they don't really know what to do because the way that they operate is incrementally. Uh, and most of the time, sometimes they try to try to take everything at once, like they did with COVID. But uh, generally, they try to take uh, they t- try to take your freedoms, and they try to take the, the society and the country incrementally, piece by piece. And when people finally say, and I think this is happening right now, but when people finally say, you know what? No, I'm not going to comp- compromise with you one inch, not one inch ever again. Not one thing. I'm not going to give you one thing. And they'll they'll cry and they'll scream and they'll whine about you know diplomacy and democracy and so on and so forth. They don't believe in any of that stuff. That's all. All of that stuff to them. That those are just tools to get what they want. Um, you know the idea that we have to constantly compromise with them. And, uh, you know, they, they just keep pushing the line forward an inch at a time. Well, you need to compromise with us on free speech. You need to compromise with us on gun rights. Uh, you need to compromise with us on, <clears throat> you know, what is taught to your kids in public school. They, they'll just keep pushing. Uh, they're, they'll, they'll never sit down and say, okay, we have enough now because it's – it's never enough. They always want more. They're always going to want more. Even when they have everything, they'll want more. So at this point, I think I see a lot of conservatives and liberty-minded people saying, uh, no, now we're not compromising with you anymore. In fact, we're, we may just take back everything that we gave you in the past. And that's really the attitude you have to have to, to defeat these people. You have to be completely uncompromising. 
I'm really glad you said that because uh, I've been telling my audience for a while that my son, who's not even two years old, and I were in a store, and some masked moron started yelling at us, and I was nice to her at first, and then I then I went nuts. And I think that the, the pure fact that I, I pushed back so hard, I think it was startling to her. I don't think she I don't think she was expecting it. Like she. It was kind of strange that she was responding because she was she like never heard about it before. So I'm really glad you said that to, to stick to your ground. And when it comes to looking at things, and you've talked about this collective group, the left or that the people who love tyranny, that, that they're never going to stop. They're never going to stop coming. They're, they're going to cease to. They're never going to cease to come after our freedom. So if you see that happening and you see that going ahead. What would you say would be maybe two probable likelihoods of uh, the future of the United States? We talked about it the, um, before, about maybe a potential massive civil war or one where there's going to be a secession. But what are you kind of leaning towards more now these days when you see what's happened in the past year? Uh, you know, it's hard to say because conditions um, today do not necessarily reflect how people will react tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, people will change how they react according to the environment. And, um, you know, it, right now, I would say if they try to institute everything in, in terms of an authoritarian system, uh, you know, mandates, uh, lockdowns, uh, uh, or just a, you know, straight, uh, you know, one world uh, order, a one world economic system, one world government, that sort of thing, then there would be uh, immediate war, at least in the United States. Um, I don't think, I think at least half the country would not uh, capitulate to that. They would not uh, go along with it. Uh, the issue, I guess, would be uh, you know economic decline is my biggest concern, and that's definitely happening uh, right now. We are in the midst of an inflationary crisis right now. Uh, you know, I think most people they can see it when they go into the grocery store. Uh, you know, I, I would say you know the average person's costs are you know hitting at this point maybe 30% above uh, a year ago. Um, in some cases, it's more than that. I've seen prices on some things that are double what they were a year ago. So it, it's uh, this sort of thing, you know, at least historically, it, it can tend to weaken a society and make them susceptible to the ideas of, uh, you know, giving up freedoms in exchange for stability. Uh, and that's a real problem. You know, we saw that with uh, Weimar Germany and the rise of uh, the Third Reich. They they would, would not have been able to, the Nazis would not have been able to gain so much power so quickly if uh, Germany had not just come out of an inflationary disaster. Uh, I think that people would have been a little more reticent to go along with that, but the Nazis promised stability. And uh, the Germans desperately wanted economic stability. So uh, I hope that uh, Americans have learned the lessons from history and won't, um, you know, submit to that kind of system and give, give, trade their freedoms for stability just, uh, just because of the economy. Uh, it's hard to say how people will react, though, if things get bad enough. 
I agree. I don't know, you know, how crazy things will get. Thinking about talking about where in our Germany, you know, we've I, I bring up the gentleman's name a lot on our show, and that's Martin Armstrong because I'm always curious about that because I know Peter Schiff and Gerald have all been talking about. Okay, well, you know, eventually the system's going to crash, and Peter Schiff's been talking a lot about a hyperinflationary depression that they've just printing out too much money. And then uh, Martin and some other people say, well, other countries have printed a ton of money, and they've gone into a tremendous amount of debt, and that didn't affect it. And he's, Martin's always saying that, okay, well, the U.S. currency has never been canceled. That's why we're never going to see a final cancellation of the currency. But he said we are going to see inflation rise substantially, and we are going to see prices getting ridiculous. And you know, you're bringing up these economic trends about where the society is going. There recently, I don't know if this was, I imagine this was probably planned, but this whole, you know, a Roe versus Wade thing coming out, I wonder if that it was meant, even if the globalists were smart enough to think about this, as a way of accelerating um, a migration where people are going to be entrenched more in states that share their values. If you look at various states and the reasons why people migrate, if you have three different options there, one is family, friends, two, you know, economic conditions, or three, social values. What do you think of those three as the main primary force that's driving people to migrate? And do you think either one of them uh, is alone on stands on alone for them people to start migrating rapidly at this point? Well, I, I mean, during the 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 COVID mandates. You know, I can speak for my area in particular because my area in Montana has been a huge uh, sort of uh, migration area for people during the pandemic. And um, all the people that I've talked to, uh, almost all of them, uh, they migrated here, they relocated here because of social values and because they wanted to play to be in a place where they knew they were going to be relatively safe from uh you know any kind of authoritarian rule changes and so you know yeah i, I think uh, uh principles uh you know political ideals and uh social ideals are the main reason why a lot of these people are relocating um it's not you know <laughs> It's, I'm not seeing any leftists coming out to Montana. That's that's one sort of rumor. <laughs> that's one rumor that I you know I keep see I keep seeing come up uh, in the Liberty Movement. Ah, oh, the left the lefties are they're coming in to take over and they're going to take over our you know they're going to vote the way that they did where they came from and so on and so forth. And there, there is zero evidence that these people are are leftists moving in to take over and. Uh, the vast majority of people I've talked to are conservatives that just happen to have lived in uh, a crappy state like Illinois or New York or California. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget that 20, 25% of California votes conservative. So there's a lot of uh, conservatives still in California that they just want to get out of there and they want to go to a better place. So, um, you know, don't be too quick to judge people who are moving into your area if you're in a red state. Um, but yeah, I think I think principles and ideals. I think people want to be safe from tyranny, and they're they know what's happening. And if they have the money, they're moving to a place where you know it'll be a stronghold against that kind of authoritarianism. Okay, and when it comes to making their move, I recently had a good talk with a gentleman named Edward Carswell. He's a prepper. He's been on our show before. 
And I was telling him I had these this dream of going to Florida. He's like, don't go to Florida. I'm like, why? He said, because if there's a disaster there, even though they're very pro-freedom, you're stuck. You can't get out. And, you, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to look at your environment. So if you are examining, uh, doing an analysis of where people should move to, you know, political parties can change. Maybe ideologies can change, maybe not so quickly. But is that something that people should keep in mind as well? Should they keep in mind a state where they have some natural resources, where they could be away from the population, where there's other states to escape to? I mean, hypothetically speaking, if you were going to move right now and you were going to consider moving to another state, what would be your uh, thoughts that would be going through your mind? I think that just uh, at least in terms of a place like Florida, I think it really depends on your overall plan. Uh, Florida, I mean, they've actually proven to be um, very strong in terms of, you know, uh, conservative values, freedom values. Uh, they're one of the only states that's, you know, actively going after the the leftist agenda in their public schools. That's a huge deal. I think DeSantis is doing a great job so far. Um, you know, I don't I don't put blind trust in any politician, but I, he's really doing a great job. Um, so that's one factor that I think you need to consider is what the, the state government, how are they uh, acting? Are they putting their money where their mouth is? That's a big deal. However, uh, tactically or strategically, you know, it depends on how bad things get. In Florida, uh, one of the things I would consider is the fact that the population is so huge. Uh, it's it's a massive population in that state, and uh, another thing is that it's completely flat. So you know, I lived in Florida for for seven years when I was younger, and and I can tell you it's it's completely flat, <laughs> and uh, it's also warm year round. So if there was some kind of an economic collapse, then basically there's not there's no high ground to go to. There's no terrain that kind of prevents people from just uh, migrating back and forth, back and forth, you know, searching for food or searching for places to loot, uh, searching for easy targets, um, that sort of thing. Uh, and then the warm weather year-round, again, it's, there's nothing stopping people from just roaming around freely all year-round looking for, for targets to, uh, to loot. So that's uh, a huge problem, I think, with Florida. Um, you know, seasons can be good. Uh, you know, if you have a winter, that can that can slow people down a little bit, give you time to breathe, and uh, you know, reassess what, where you're at and what you need to do. Uh, so, I, I think, um, you know, for me personally, the, obviously, I'm in I'm in Montana, which is uh, some people refer to as a readout state. It's a, a place where you know it can be built up as a stronghold. Uh, there's lots of changes in terrain. Uh, there's, you know, there can be harsh winters, so it can slow people down in, in the wintertime, uh, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, so, you know, I, I like the mountain states. Uh, I know on the East Coast, I know Tennessee tends to be very popular as a relocation state. <clears throat> uh, New Hampshire, or uh, not New Hampshire, but Maine. That Maine also tends to be uh, a popular location uh, for people to move to. So I, I think it depends on what you're trying to do. If I was in Florida, I would uh, I would be near the coast, and I would have a boat. 
I think. I would have a, a boat-based uh, preparedness plan. Okay. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. That you made some excellent points about uh, where people can relocate. Right, Brandon, we just have time for one last question, and I'm going to bring to your attention a date of significance. Uh, alert. I found an article on Alt Market that reads, food shortages in six months. The globalists are telling us what happens next. So I guess when it rains, it pours. And I love this article that you wrote because, I mean, it seems that these psychopaths are showing us exactly what they're doing. It's, it's almost as if they, they think people are so stupid that they're not responding. But it's crazy. And in addition to talking about the food shortages that they're planning, apparently there's going to be an imminent false flag attack where they're going to try to do something to shut down the grid. Can you please elaborate um, on a mix of those two articles, what you see happening, what people can, can do to actually prepare for something like that? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a continuing pattern with the globalists. This is what they tend to do. I, I think I pointed out in the article that right before the crash of uh, the, the credit crash of 2008 into 2009, that they were talking, I, I believe in early 2007 onward, they were talking about a credit crash uh, among the bigger uh, institutions. So the, the Bank for International Settlements, the IMF, the WEF, all of those groups were talking about a crash. And it was almost as if they it's, – it's almost as if they're required by some kind of weird rule to tell us exactly what they're about to do before they do it. Because these are the institutions that, that engineer uh, economic disasters. They have all the power to do this. So why, are they, why were they admitting to it? Why were they openly talking about it uh, beforehand if they had, had the power to engineer all of this? And I don't know. I, my thinking is, for some reason, maybe they get a kick out of uh, telling people what's going to happen before it happens, or maybe for some reason they, they feel they're required to let us know what's going to happen. But <laughs> this is happening once again. Uh, this year, this past year, uh, they con have continually uh, started talking about food shortages and the time frame for those food shortages has been presented as three to six months. I, I'd say probably six months is closer to what will really be, what will really happen. And, uh, you know, the media itself, at least initially, has either ignored this, uh, all of these institutions, I mean, dozens upon dozens of major institutions, from the IMF to the BIS to <clears throat> the World Bank to the UN, all of these institutions, uh, globalist ones, are talking about major food shortages uh, in the near term. The media has ignored this mostly. Some of the media has even tried to act as if there, w there will be no food shortages, the same way they were acting as if inflation was transitory and that it, it would just go away. So uh, there's, uh, the way the media is downplaying these announcements uh, – suggests to me that that's exactly what's going to happen, that the globalists are telling us what's going to happen, what the plan is next, and that in six months, at least uh, six months, people need to be ready uh, to um, weather that, that, that storm of food shortages. <clears throat> and that means prepping as soon as possible uh, for uh, all your necessities. And uh, I think that uh, food shortages that doesn't necessarily mean that the grocery stores will be empty or that the grocery stores will be shut down, that sort of thing. What it will mean is much higher prices 
even higher than they are now on most necessities, most items. That includes uh, gas and other commodities along with food. And, uh, you know, there will be some empty shelves and what they'll try to do is kind of spread out their spread out product across the stores to make it look like it's not quite as bad as it is. Um, but you're going to see a lot of a lot of items just disappear off the shelves, and uh, there will be infrequent stocking of items. So, uh, for example, in my area, it seems like milk is uh, really hard to get uh, lately, and um, what happens is it's gone for two or three days, there's no milk. And then they'll get a huge uh, influx of milk, and for a week everything will be fine. And then for another two or three days, milk will be gone. So, you know, which is, uh, that's a, that's unheard of, you know, two or two years ago, that's unheard of. You would just have milk all the time, every day. But uh, with coming food shortages, that's what's going to happen is, there will be a lot of items you just won't be able to get sometimes for days or maybe even weeks. Um, so keep that in mind. It's when when I talk about food shortages in that article, I'm not referring to some kind of Mad Max collapse. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about is a complete change in the way our freight system is operating and the supply chain is operating. Mr. Brandon Smith, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Brandon is the founder and publisher of Alt Market, alt-market.us. You can check out his articles. I love uh, what he writes and his perspectives. You can also find a lot of his articles. They are also featured on lewrockwell.com and zerohedge.com. Mr. Smith, thank you for sharing your time and insight with us today. Yeah, and uh, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guests, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.